Christmas is a time to say I love you Share the joys and laughter and the tears Christmas is a time to say I love you And I feel that it lasts all through the year Popheads, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Welcome to issue 66, oh, what's that, Emperor Palpatine? Execute Order 66. Yes, indeed, Execute Order 66. Or as he said it, Execute Order 66. Anyways, now that that's out of the way... Okay, welcome to issue 66 of 3 Bzine Presents, the TomCast Popcast, also known simply as Popcast. I am the man whose name is on the show. My name is Tom. Please follow us on social media at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore Popcast on Instagram. You can email the show at TomCastPopcast at gmail.com. And head on over to Patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopcast, where you can join... Pophead Nation. All kinds of cool bonuses over there. We do special exclusive content for Tier 1 members. Um, but you can join for less than that, too. And thank you in advance for supporting this awesome podcast. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Squid Master General Brian Broussard, and still our newest Patreon, the Batman of Bay Park, Jeff Nail. He's also the co-host on The Ringing Ear. That's a great music podcast for all you guys who dig the tunes. Not the tunes that I play. No one. I, I don't think anyone but me likes the tunes that I play. Um, but Jeff and his, his, his buddy Joby do an awesome job with all kinds of cool music that is too cool for me. But it's a great show anyways. Finally, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform it is you choose to use. And if you can, leave us a rad five-star review. That would be super, super helpful for getting the word out about our fun little podcast that we do over here. All right. So today we're back. We're doing. God, we're back so quick. I'm, I'm, I'm just a hurricane of, of podcasts to unleash on the masses before before the holiday season is is, is here. I mean, it, the holiday season is here, but before the actual holidays get here, and there's no time to listen to podcasts, and there's no time to record podcasts. I'm just gonna throw as many out to the world as I can. Which, trust me, is getting fewer and fewer because I don't have the time anymore. The mother-in-law arrives in town tomorrow. God knows what will happen with my, my, my recording capabilities when she's here. But we are here now, and we're here because today, Wednesday, December 18th, uh, the penultimate episode, the penultimate ultimate chapter in The Mandalorian was released today, three day, two days early, technically, because uh, Disney wants to make sure that you have no excuse not to go see The Rise of Skywalker this weekend at the movie theaters. Uh, so they dropped The Mandalorian a couple days early, and they, they attached a little scene from Rise of Skywalker onto the, uh, onto the end of the episode as a further enticement to watch a show that you're already watching anyways. So that seemed pointless, because you're going to go see the movie too. Would you need to be convinced to go see a new Star Wars film? Come on! Amateurs over at Disney, what are they thinking? Anyways, 
Early reviews are in on The Rise of Skywalker 2, and uh, a lot of them are not favorable. Uh, it's been a very mixed bag as far as the early reviews go. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. Obviously, the movie's tracking well as far as uh, advanced ticket sales and things like that. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what we can get what we get out of the film. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, what everybody's uh, feelings are. Will this movie be as divisive as The Last Jedi was? We'll find out. I am hoping, 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 hoping to God that I can record at least a little... I'm hoping I can record a initial reaction, spoiler-free review of The Rise of Skywalker, uh, hopefully on Friday or something like that. But I don't know for sure if that'll happen. We'll see how it goes. I hope to do that. Do that. But we're not here to talk about The Rise of Skywalker yet. We're here to talk about The Mandalorian. Like I said, the penultimate chapter dropped today. This is my favorite episode since Chapter 3 was released. That is the, the, that is the Sin episode. That is when, when Mando goes, he rescues Baby Yoda. He gets into the big shootout with the bounty hunters. The Mandalorians come to his rescue. Fantastic episode. You'll realize there are a couple common threads from that episode to... This episode, I keep calling them episodes, I guess technically they're chapters. I apologize, I keep kind of slipping up on that. Chapter 7, much like Chapter 3, written by John Favreau. Chapter 7, much like Chapter 3, directed by Deborah Chow. I think that seems to be the winning combination so far. They These are two of the best episodes of the series thus far. And while it can be argued that this this chapter of the story, a, a good chunk of it is table setting in a way. I, I think it's really fun table setting. It's really engaging, and it sets up a lot for the fina- season finale episode that'll come. Gosh, it won't come until uh, the I think it's the twenty eighth now. Uh, next next Friday coming up, so we do have a little bit of a wait now. That's the one the one drag about getting an episode a couple days early is now you got to wait a little bit longer to get the new one. So why is this episode so great? Why is it so cool? Why do I like it so much? Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with going back to Favreau's scripts. We kind of get back to, back on track. While we had, you know, episode chapters four, five, and six were nice for the most part. I really didn't care for five. You guys know that. We're back in the story now. We're back in the mix, and it it it's because obviously because the season's coming to an end. So it's time to kind of start pulling all the, all the threads together here, all the time to weave the tapestry that you've kind of slowly been building through this first season. We open with the Razor Crush flying through space. We're catching up with our hero, Baby Yoda sleeping in the cockpit, and, and Mando's flying the, flying the craft when he receives a message from his old friend, Grief Karga. You know, if the Mando's surprised to see Grief still alive, you don't, he doesn't show it because, you know, he's got a helmet on. And... Grief has a has a proposition for the Mandalorian. He wants him to come back to Navarro and help him eliminate the Imperial client who has now brought in a heck of a lot more Imperial forces to Navarro and is, according to Grief, ruining business for him. And so he needs to bring the Mando back and in, in, in return for helping eliminate the client, the Imperial client, uh, Grief's gonna gonna square things with the, with the guild and, and, and make it so... He can go back to work for the guild, and, the, and thus, the, and with the Imperial gone, Baby Yoda will be safe, and then we can all go about our lives. Obviously, the Mandalorian suspects a trap right away, but the if we, if he's learned anything over these last three episodes, 
uh, it's that the Imperials are not going to stop sending bounty hunters after them, so the child would never be safe. So Mando has decides to play along with the plan, but he's going to bring back up, and that's when he goes and tracks down his old friend Cara Dune. So it was nice to see her come back again. Cara Dune, uh, still on Sorghum, where uh, he finds her doing what she does best, fighting people. She's got a little bar fighting cage kind of thing going on that she's like tethered to another dude um, and they just beat the crap out of each other. Interesting that you may note, you may have noted the species that she's fighting is an Iridonian Zabrak, which is the same species as Darth Maul. You may recognize the horns on the head. Nice giveaway for a Zabrak. So it's kind of fun to see those, those creatures popping pop those that species popping up in the in this series. We saw one in one of the earlier episodes, just a flash of them, I think actually on the Sorghum episode, which was chapter four. But Amanda goes back to Sorghum to recruit her. She It takes a little sweet talking, but once he says they're going to go kill some imps, she's in. So now the Mando has the backup that he needs, and it's time to figure out a plan. And so they take off on the Razor Crest, and they're going to head up and go to Navarro, right? Nah, not so much. During a fun little sequence where the Mandalorian and and Kara are down in the hold, and Mando is uh, letting her go through the, the, the go through the armory, picking out some weapons and stuff like that. There's a great scene where they're chit chatting, and you see little Baby Yoda's head pop down, like upside down, and looking at him, just kind of scoping things out as they're chit chatting. A lot of fun there. And then his head goes back up, and they keep talking, and, and Kara asks, like, is it okay to leave Baby Yoda up in the, up in the cockpit by himself? And he's like, yeah, he's fine. Next thing you know, the ship's flying all over the place. Their, their alarms are going off, and, and we go up and find Baby Yoda yanking on the, on, the, on the control stick of the craft. Oh, that wasn't good. You can't leave Baby Yoda alone. So, and we, you know what? I think all of us should know that by now. Baby Yoda does what Baby Yoda wants. So they decide they need to get a little bit more help, someone who can watch after Baby Yoda. So now they go back to uh, they go back to Avala Seven, which was the planet that we opened on, where he found Baby Yoda with with those uh, Nikto species. You know, for whatever reason they had Baby Yoda, we don't know quite why just yet. And so we meet back up with Kuil, the Ugnot who helped the Mandalorian when he went to, when he got to the planet, taught him how to ride Blurgs, helped him repair the Razor Crest. So we catch up with so we catch up with Kuil, because. Mando wants to recruit him to help watch Baby Yoda. Except we find out that Kuil's been quite busy. And after the Mandalorian left with Baby Yoda, he went back to the scene of the big shootout, and he recovered the body. I guess body is the right word. What do you think? He went and recovered IG-11, the bounty hunter droid that Mando shot in the head at the end of the first episode to save Baby Yoda's life. And then there's a big montage scene where it shows Kuil repairing and reprogramming and then teaching the droid uh, how to do the most basic of functions all over again from scratch. You may wonder why we're watching this scene. It's a little strange to, to kind of shoehorn this in there, you know, in an episode where you are already getting the feel that this is going to be a two-parter thing leading into the season finale. So you're wondering why are they inserting this? this why are they inserting this montage into the episode of of Quill, uh, training a droid to to walk and set crates down and to pour tea? I think that's going to pay off pretty big. We'll get to that. So eventually, Mando forms his posse. Quill, 
the IG-11 droid who Mando does not like and does not want on the ship, but it's part of uh, Quill's uh, agreement with the Mando that he'll only go if, if IG-11 goes and if they take three blurgs. So we have a full ship with three blurgs, and a, a re- reprogrammed bounty hunter droid, Cara Doom, the Mando, and Quill. We're making our way back to Navarro now. Things get dark in this scene. Things get real dark. In a friendly arm wrestling match between Mando and Kara, Baby Yoda gets a little concerned. Thinks the, thinks Mando's in trouble. Reaches out with his little paw, his little little force-empowered paw, and force chokes Kara Doom. To the surprise of everyone in the room, Mando has to leap to his feet and grab Baby Yoda and tell him not to do that because that's her, they're, they're friends. He's okay. There's nothing bad happening here. Kara's freaking out. Mando's a little little surprised by what just happened. Kuil gives us another glimpse of something here. Our story is set in the outer rim of the Star Wars galaxy. It's entirely possible that the Force is not as commonly known as it is in the main canon, the main the main Star Wars stories, you know, with our Jedi's and all these other things. Out here, this is like we're on, in the backwater of the galaxy. Perhaps the stories of the Jedi have faded away. Perhaps stories of the Force have faded away. It's hard to say for sure. Uh, because he never actually says the Force, but he says that when he was a indentured servant of the Empire, he had heard stories about abilities like what the child had just displayed. So everyone seems a little taken aback by this. But you would think Cara Doom might be a little bit more familiar. You would think like the legend of Luke Skywalker was at least a little bit more prevalent in the Rebellion. But uh, they're definitely staying away from the main Star Wars mythology here. So we'll just have to kind of give them a little bit of leeway on this. Now, I have to back up a little bit. I got a little ahead of myself on a couple different fronts. When they first get back to Avala 7 and meet up with Kuil, there is a really interesting scene that takes place that is... The best way I can describe this scene is it is a lot of talking with what I think will be important information that has no actual meaning to any of us at this particular moment in time. You heard me right. That's a tad frustrating. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to play the clip from that segment and and we'll see if we can kind of I don't know, piece it together or or maybe come up with some, some solutions here. So, this is this is when they first meet back up with Quill and they go into his house. They go into his little uh, ranch house. And this is even before IG-11 pops back up again and Amanda wants to blow his head off again. Let's set the stage. All right, here we go. Hang on. It hasn't grown much. I think it might be a strand cast. I don't think it was engineered. I've worked in the gene farms. This one looks evolved. Too ugly. This one, on the other hand, looks like she was farmed in the Sido Caves of Nora. This is Kara Doom. She was a shock trooper. You were a dropper. Did you serve? On the other side, I'm afraid. But I'm proud to say that I paid out my clan's debt, and now I serve no one but myself. Would anyone care for some tea? Please lower your blast. He will not harm you. That thing is programmed to kill the baby. Not anymore. Okay, so I let that scene run for a little bit longer than I was going to, but... I just wanted to kind of flesh it out a little bit. 
so you get the whole thing with IG-11 and all that stuff. Though, like I said, I, yeah, I know you guys watch the show. Okay, so listening back on that scene, what the hell did they just say? Mando says that he thinks that Baby Yoda might be a strand cast. To which Kuil replies that I don't think he was engineered because he's worked in the gene farms before. He seems to be familiar with cloning techniques. That seems to be the implication there. And then he compares him to another specimen that I am completely unfamiliar with in Star Wars, which I looked up. Nobody seems to know what that means. And it is generally a lot of nonsense. <laughs> okay, I know it's Star Wars. It's, it's a fair amount of nonsense to begin with. But I guess this means we eliminate the theory that Baby Yoda is some kind of clone, a clone of Yoda or a clone of, of some kind of genetic making, you know, genetic manipulation and modification. So that, that theory gets blown out of the water, which is fine. It's okay. We don't, we don't need to think he's a clone. As far as Baby Yoda's origins go, I mean, everything was on the table to begin with. It looks like now we've just figured out that he's not genetically engineered. He's not some kind of a clone, at least according to Kuili, Kuil, who I you know I guess we can take him at his word. He seems to be a pretty savvy dude, but it's still hard to say. It's still really hard to say for sure. Like I said, I've never heard of this word strand cast. And some of the other lines that he says after this are you know again I, because I don't know what a strand cast is. Uh, and when Kuil says that this one looks, this one looks evolved, and then calls his baby Yoda too ugly. To which I was like, "Oh, you're gonna go there, fuckface? Let's talk about ugly." But that's you know that's another tangent for later. And <laughs> and then Kuil goes on to compliment Kara uh, Dune, which is Kara Doom, which is fine, I suppose. But I don't know what the um, what was the word he called? What is it? The Cyto Caves of Nora. I have no idea what the fuck that means either. Sometimes <laughs> Star Wars is funny. Sometimes it gets into into you know everyone makes fun of Star Trek for the the techno babble and the jibber jabber and, and all that stuff. Star Wars just makes up words. They just make up words. It's awesome. I it's one of my favorite things in the English language just to make up all the words I want. Awesome. All right, so let's go back to the ship. They're getting back to Navarro here in a minute, but. Mando and Kara are up on the on the in the cockpit when IG Eleven comes in, and he offers to he offers them second meal. Which okay, cool. What are they, like hobbits or something? Second meal, thirdsies, fourthsies, you know. I don't know. It was strange. Second meal. Maybe that just means lunch. What do I know? Second meal. Very strange. Probably means lunch, right? Breakfast is the first meal. Second meal is lunch. Third meal's dinner. Let's go with that. Let's go with second meal being lunch. I think we just solved the... We cracked the code, folks. We did it. All right. So, Mando clearly still has a grudge against IG-11. Fairly so. But IG-11 is going to play a big part in, in, in the final episode. We'll talk about that as we get to it. So, we're just kind of getting into... kind of It's kind of unneeded dramatic tension, I suppose. You know, they. I think they're trying to make it sound like they're like IG Eleven could betray them at any minute. At least that's what the Mandalorian believes. So perhaps we'll unpack a little bit more about his hatred of droids. I mean, obviously we flash back a couple chapters ago to well, when he was a young child, and obviously uh, Imperial super super battle droids were raiding his village. So clearly, 
Uh, he doesn't like droids because they killed his parents and things like that. But is there more to it than that? Or is it just he's just prejudiced against droids for the killing of his family? Neither one's acceptable. I mean, if you don't want to like droids, I guess you don't have to like droids. So we get back to Navarro, and our heroes are meeting up with, with Grief. He's got three bounty hunters with him as escorts. The ramp of the Razor Crest comes down, and, and the Blurgs come down. And all we see are the Blurg bodies. And then we get a big shot of all of our heroes on top of the Blurgs. Kuil, Mando in the middle, and Cara Dune, all on the Blurgs. Now, in the meantime, while they were traveling, uh, Kuil was building a new pod for Baby Yoda to ride in. So we're back to having the floating pod that the Mandalorian can control from his wrist gauntlet. So Grief and the Mando and his t- Grief's team and the Mando's team have a bit of a standoff before they, as they kind of figure out how this is going to shake out. One of the things I liked about the scene was when you look at Grief Karga, you see he still has the blaster hole in his vest from where the Mandalorian shot him back in Chapter 3, which I thought was a nice touch for the costuming. It's a pretty funny scene where Grief wants to see the child, and the Mandalorian shows him the child, and Grief picks up, the, picks up Baby Yoda, <laughs> and he calls him a precious little creature. It's pretty funny. I don't, and then he says he doesn't want to. He, I can see why you didn't want to harm a hair on his wrinkled little head, and I, I laughed at that. I thought that was pretty funny. Carl Weather, the, the way Carl Weathers is, delivers his lines as Grief Karga is a interesting acting choice, certainly. But I think it's a little, it leads a lot of leads to a lot of fun in the way he delivers them. Grief's team and Mando's team, they have to walk back to the town. They, the Mandalorian had to park far away because of the the high Imperial presence. They didn't want to risk the Mandalorian being detected because they got to pull this scheme, this plan off if they're going to kill the Imperial client. So they're parked so far away that they're going to have to camp out for the night. And they're, in this camp out scene, we get to see Kuil feeding baby Yoda. Grief starts to lay out some of the plan because Mando wants to know what the situation is going to be. There's also a lot of talk about Kara's shock trooper past which everyone seems to recognize exactly who and what she is because of that tattoo. And this, this scene opens up where, they, they, where Grief reiterates that there will only be four stormtroopers in the actual meeting. And, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And that's when uh, giant monsters <laughs> come out of the sky and attack the group. Uh, the monsters are something of a cross between really big Minox and dragons, I suppose. It's a bit like... Uh, it's a bit like Pitch Black, if you guys remember that flick, the, the one of the first Vin Diesel movies from back in the day. Uh, a, good, a good sci-fi horror flick. Uh, at least I enjoyed it. Yeah, mostly because of the death of children in it amused me. Because I'm dark. So the, these, these fighting monsters attack the group, and they, they snatch a blurg, and they, they kill one of the bounty hunters. Uh, they try to fly away with the Mando. I, I, I like this shootout scene. It's really cool because you have the creatures swooping in from the darkness while everyone's trying to uh, blast them away. But I like the way that Mando, Cara Doom, and uh, Kuil kind of fall back to protect Baby Yoda's pod. Except for Kuil. He gets a little upset when the blurgs get taken. But, you know, he's very, he's very attached to those blurgs. So I like the way that this scene shakes out. One of the first nice action pieces here, too. Uh, in this... In this, in this uh, scuffle, Grief Karga gets badly wounded and we find out that apparently these creatures have some kind of poison. It's going to kill him and it seems to be killing him uh, fairly quickly. 
Yukari Doom is the only one with any kind of field medic training. She's trying to treat him, administer uh, a medical treatment of some sort, but they don't have the right stuff. They don't have the right uh, equipment, and they don't have the right medicines and all those things. So it looks like it's a losing battle as, a, as this poison is spreading through Grief Karga's system faster and faster. Uh, that's when Baby Yoda makes his little way over to Grief from his pod. And Kara just thinks the child's being, you know, invasive, and she wants someone to take it away. But that's when little Baby Yoda puts his little paw up again and places his hand on Grief's wound. And we get to see what, he, what Baby Yoda wanted to do for the Mando back in Chapter 2. We get to see Baby Yoda heal this wound of griefs. And everyone pretty much stares in disbelief at what they just saw. Now this act that Baby Yoda does, this is, a, it's, this is revelatory for Grief Karga's character as he begins to see why the child is so special. He made a, a show of it, of pretending to understand why the Mando did what he did. But we're going to find out in a, in a little bit that the plan was always to kill the Mandalorian and to take Baby Yoda back to the Imperial client. But because of Baby Yoda's actions here, saving Grief Karga's life, he now understands why the child is special and why the Mandalorian has chosen to protect the child. Because as they get back to being on the outskirts of Navarro, or the, of the town on Navarro, Grief flips on the, and kills the other two bounty hunters, while Mando and, and Kara Doom just kind of are taken aback by what... The, they, it's a cool scene because grief turns on him real fast. We see the bounty hunters come up from behind Mando and Kara with their guns drawn, and then grief turns, spins super fast, and blows the two bounty hunters away before Mando and Kara can react. And that's when he admits that yeah, the plan was to kill Mando and take the baby and be done with it. But now they want to get rid. Of, but now, grief wants to help the Mando end the hunting of baby Yoda by killing the Imperial client. So they have to come up with a new plan here. And it's not a great plan, to be perfectly honest. But it's a plan nonetheless. So Khalil's going to take baby Yoda back to the Razor Crest, and he's going to activate these defenses that will help protect baby Yoda and, the, and Khalil and his IG-11 droid. Now it's important to note, IG-11 was made to stay on the ship. Mando does not trust IG-11. He did not want IG-11 off the ship at all. So I should have put that out there earlier. But like I said, you guys watched the show. You, you, you know. So Kuil's going to go back to IG-11 on the Razor Craft with Baby Yoda. They're going to keep the pod with them, pretending that Baby Yoda is still inside the pod. Grief will be their escort. Kara Doom's going to assume the role of a bounty hunter and that the, bounty, and that the Mandalorian has been captured. He's going to be in, in the sun cuffs. And then they're going to go into town and try and... and Basically pull a fast one and then kill the Imperial client. Because according to Grief, he only travels with four stormtroopers. Piece of cake. Begin to As we enter the town, and we see Imperial speeder bike troops, by the way. How fucking cool is that to see some Imperial speeder bikers? I loved that guy. I love the speeder bikes and the speeder biker costumes. They're so freaking cool. It's, that's a, I love that look. I really do. So I was stoked to see these guys. And then once admitted into the town we see that the Imperial presence in the town is much bigger than grief indicated it was. And that is concerning. Kara is not stoked on this. She has her tattoo covered up at this point too, because obviously she can't give away that she worked for the rebellion at one point. 
the increased Imperial presence is because of what happened in Chapter 3. Mandalorian shooting up the safe house and blasting away with the, with the child led to more Imperial forces in this town. So this is a result of the Mandalorian's actions. So not only do we get the return of familiar friends of the Mandalorian at this point, with the return of Cardoon, Kuil, even IG-11, you know, people we've seen from previous episodes, we now get to see the Imperial client once again, the Werner Herzog character who just... I, the, the lines of dialogue they gave him, I don't know if he wrote his own dialogue, but the way he delivers it is, uh, is just so fantastic. And the way he talks about you know, how beautiful the Beskar armor is when it's forged by it, its ancestral artisans. Um, like I said, the way he delivers these lines is just so fantastic. And it, he just, oh, he's wonderful in the, show, in the show. I've really been surprised by how much I've enjoyed his presence on it. I also enjoyed the fact that he offered uh, grief a libation, <laughs> which I, just, just one of those words that I really, really enjoy. So that made me laugh. Again, there's a funny set, uh, an interesting section of dialogue here that I want to share with everybody because it's it's part of that that new canon that doesn't quite jibe with the other new canon that's supposed to work to, with it. You know, this imperial relationship with Mandalore is not quite what we've seen on the Clone Wars or on the Rebel Rebels show. Um, so it's interesting. I'm I'm trying to see how I'm trying to figure out how they're they're working all these different how they're going to bring this continuity all together. But I want to play that, that scene for you. And again, it's delivered by Werner Herzog, so it's definitely worth listening to. So hang on a sec. It is a shame that your people suffered so, just as in this situation, it was all avoidable. Why did Mandalore resist our expansion? The Empire improves every system it touches, judged by any metric. Safety, prosperity, trade, opportunity, peace. Compare imperial rule to what is happening now. Look outside. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? I see nothing but death and chaos. I would like to see the baby. Okay, so pretty interesting stuff, right? And away again, the way Werner Herzog delivers these lines is so fantastic. Uh, I just want to know so much more about what he's talking about, though. Again, we've 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 talked on previous episodes. Some of the things they say would be great with a little bit more context, but you know, maybe we'll get there. We still have one more episode to go. So at this point, the Imperial client would like to see Baby Yoda, because uh, we find out that the Imperial client answers to a higher power. And as he's getting ready to inspect Baby Yoda, that higher power is making a hollow call to him right now. And he has to go and take this call. So we see the Mandalorian slip out of his cuffs. He's going to get ready to make his move here. Gets his blaster back from grief. But Kara, I feel like she should get the... She should say, the I've got a bad feeling about this. The hologram we see is Moff Gideon. And he knows that the baby's not in there. He knows. So he tells, tells them to check again, and then all of a sudden, blaster fire just erupts from outside of the bar. Just blows the holy hell. Kills Werner Herzog and every stormtrooper inside the building, including the bartending droid who was just doing his job, just pouring drinks. Grief, Mando, Kara, take cover. As all these stormtroopers are just getting annihilated in this bar shootout. 
Then, as the dust settles, we see through the windows the return of Imperial Death Troopers, last seen in Star Wars Rogue One. The black-armored stormtroopers. They're so cool looking. Nice little shot down the line of them as they point their weapons at the bar. And then here's my favorite part of the episode. This stormtrooper transport that arrives. This is the kind of thing that I love about this fucking show. All right? That is in the Imperial Troop Transport. All right? You guys with me so far? It's also, it's also okay, because it's Imperial Troop Transport, the ITTT. It is also known as the K79-S80 RTT, or the Recon Transport. Nerdy, I know. Do you want to know why this is so fucking cool? Because this is the first toy that Kenner made in 1977 that was never in the films. That's right. This was a toy from 1977 before this was ever featured in any Star Wars any Star Wars at all. It made its debut in animated versions in uh, Star Wars Rebels and I think even in, in Clone Wars. But to see it in live action was, whoa, oh my god, they made that. They made that. I Oh, it was so cool. I remember that toy. I remember that toy so much. Ooh, it was so cool. If you don't know the story about the Star Wars toys, I really recommend going onto Netflix and watching the, uh, the Toys That Made Us series. The first episode is all about Star Wars, and it's awesome. I mean, not only the story about how Lucas got the toy rights for Star Wars, but how once, once they came out and like, they were such an immediate hit that every kid in the world wanted Star Wars toys, Kenner came to Lucasfilm and was like, we need to make more toys. We need more stuff. Give us more stuff. So Lucasfilms helped them come up with these new designs for, for vehicles and weapons and things like that that weren't even in the movie. And this, was the, this Imperial Troop Transport was the first such toy designed that was not in a Star Wars movie. Again, I, I saw this and I went immediately back to being like six or seven years old and playing with Star Wars toys uh, with my brother and, and the neighbor across the street. It was just awesome. It was so cool to see. And again, it's one of these small little nerdy touches that they put into the show that make me really, really love it so, so much. Oh, it filled my heart with childhood joy and delight. It was amazing to see that thing on there. And from this true transport, like 30 stormtroopers come out of the transport. There's now basically an entire battalion in front of this bar. And guess what? The Mandos aren't on this planet anymore. Mandalorians are not going to come to the rescue of, of their brother on this one. So it's Mando. It's Car Doom. It is Grief Karga. Versus an, an Imperial Battalion. Mando makes the radio call to Kuil to make sure he's gotten Baby Yoda safely back to the ship. But the Imperials are monitoring the communications. And the speeder biker troops are about to take off now. And they're going to track down Kuil because they can track that signal. So we got to see speeder bikes in action, which that's awesome too. We haven't really seen that since Return of the Jedi. Now a new TIE fighter comes into, into view. This is a TIE fighter um, that's been referred to in... We haven't seen it before, but it's it's known as the Outland TIE Fighter. It's a slightly larger version of, of, of over the standard TIE Fighter, and uh, you know obviously it has those folding wings so that you can land and be a little bit 
easier to the ground as opposed to having to pull down a ladder and stuff like that. It's a very cool looking ship, that is for sure. Now, Kuil's racing to get back to the Razor Crest, but these speeder bikes are bearing down on him. It's a really cool, kind of well done scene. As you can just kind of see a Kuil in the distance, and then behind him, you see the dust raising from the speeder bikes. Meanwhile, back in the town, the canopy of the, of the TIE Fighter, the top dome part, is raising, and we see the moth coming out of the cockpit. And that's right, it's our old friend. It is Gustavo Fring, the chicken man himself, is an imperial moth, and he looks badass. And he wants Baby Yoda, and he's going to get Baby Yoda, whether he has to kill everyone in the scene or not. This moth knows the Mando is trying to pull a fast one. Those speeder breakers are bearing down on Kuil. You see him right there. They're closing in, they're closing in, they're closing in. It's a really... Really well done thing. And the Mandalorian's kind of freaking out. You can't see his face. Oh, wait. Is Kuil going to make it? The ramp lowers. And then we flash on Baby Yoda on the ground. Just wiggling around on the ground and a speeder bike swooping in to pick him up like a football. And that doesn't seem safe for a baby. And that's when the, the cameras pan up and we see the smoking body of Kuil on the ground, his dead blurg behind him. Mando yelling on the communicator for him to answer. And that's when you fade to black. And that is our cliffhanger. The penultimate episode of, of The Mandalorian Season 1. Chapter 7, The Reckoning. I thought this was awesome. This was a super, super cool episode. It's a lot of fun, a lot of cool action pieces. Um, but story going forward... You know, we, we get back into the main story here. You know, those those side stories were fun, but it's like a role-playing game. You know, side quests are fun because you can get loot and, and, and level up a little bit, but eventually you've got to get back to playing the main game or you're going to get bored. So it was pretty darn cool. So let's, let's talk about a few things first. Let's go back in, a little bit here into the meat of the episode, particularly when we're on that, on that farm with Quill. That scene indicates to me and maybe I'm wrong, but you guys let me know if you agree or not. In between episodes, a lot of time seems to pass. Like, I, I think it's fair to assume that the Mandalorian's been on the run for, for months at this point. Because that montage scene of Quill reprogramming IG-11 and, and having to retrain him to do everything, I would imagine that couldn't be done overnight. You know, that wasn't like three days later he was up to, up to speed and doing his thing. It seems to imply that the Mando's been on the run for quite some time, which would stand to reason why he would be willing to uh, take the risk and go back to Navarro just so he can kind of, if he can square up with the, with the guild, square up with Grief Karga, kill these Imperials, it puts him in a much better position to protect the child. So I thought that was something to note. Also to note, we talked a little bit about it, Mandalo Mando, his hatred, his distrust, his dislike, of droids and, droids, and of IG-11 in particular. They left IG-11 on the ship. When Kuil is killed, the ramp is down. I think it's fair to assume that IG-11 just watched the, the, this Kuil, this Ugnaught, who rebuilt him, reprogrammed him, and train, retrained him. I think he just watched that, that person get killed. 
Now, obviously, droids are droids. They're not emotional. There's not attachment. But perhaps the droid recognizing that uh, his master, I guess maybe, I don't know if we want to use that word or not. I feel, because there was a, there was a whole anti-slavery vibe to Kuil. So calling him master seems to be counterintuitive. But perhaps recognizing that the man who helped restore him has just been murdered by Imperials will kind of activate some of that old bounty hunting circuitry within IG-11. Because let's be honest, I think anyone who's been opening the app has been seeing the same promotional image I've been seeing since Chapter 1, which is Mando front and center with Cara Doom and IG-11 on either side of him. So, I, <laughs> spoilers, but I'm pretty sure IG-11 is about to be on the side of right and kill a whole lot of stormtroopers next week. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, too. And I ain't mad at it. I ain't mad at it. I think we also know that Taika Waititi is directing the, the season finale as well. So, obviously, he's going to be a part of it. You know, he's back as IG-11. And I think I do, I do think he's directing this episode. The next, the next episode, I should say. So lots of cool stuff in here. It was a lot of fun. Very, very good stuff. Back on track with a vengeance. You know, like I said, these last previous three chapters were a bit of a detours. Um, but again, Favreau writing the script. Deborah Chow directing the shit out of it. Uh, insanely well done. Insanely well done. So I can't wait to see what they do next. I can't wait to see how they wrap up the season. I can't wait to see uh, if... If they're going to be able to rescue Baby Yoda, if they can save Baby Yoda, I can't wait to see how this how this goes. I'm really excited. Really, 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 really excited. One more thing that bears uh, mentioning is something that came up on social media uh, a few weeks back, actually. Uh, but this was the episode in which this aforementioned social media revelation came to be in. Uh, so apparently during the production of this episode, there was a bit of a, a costuming snafu they didn't have enough stormtrooper costumes for the extras or actors or whoever they had uh, dressing up for the stormtroopers that were rushing to the bar to be part of that battalion in, in the standoff and so what ha what happened next was dave filoni executive producer of the series uh reached out to the 501st legion now who's the 501st legion you might be asking the 501st Legion is a group of hardcore, dedicated Star Wars fans. They are also, uh, I believe they were the first licensed, officially licensed and sanctioned, uh, Lucas, officially licensed and sanctioned by Lucasfilm for Stormtrooper and Star Wars costume recreation. And it's these fans who build their own Stormtrooper armor, build their own uh, Imperial Guard armor. And it's to the exact specifications of Lucasfilm. These are as close to authentic as it gets. So Dave Filoni reached out to this group who has chapters all around the world. All around the world, all these, all these Star Wars fans who want to participate in, in the 501st Legion by building their own, their own custom suit of armor. Uh, are their own custom suit, but custom in the sense that, yeah, they're building it themselves. But you can't, you can't build a stormtrooper armor and like have flames on the side of the helmet. It has to be something that is from the films and that is an authentic replica 
Does that make sense? <laughs> Authentic replica? I'm not quite sure. But you know, I think you know what I mean. Like, it has to be to the T with, with what we've seen in the films. And so he reached out, and what, I, I don't know exactly where they filmed the series, but whatever chapter was closest came to be extras in, the, in, the, in, these, in these shots of this Stormtrooper battalion descending on the bar where Mando, Cardoon, and Grief Karga are held up. So I thought that was a really interesting little tidbit and just kind of a cool thing that Dave Filoni did, uh, knowing that, you know, it, to make this scene even cooler, we need, we need more Stormtroopers. And I know a bunch of guys who have rad fucking armor that looks just like the armor that we need. So he, he made that phone call, and I thought that was just awesome. How cool is that? So, you know, members of this 501st Legion, in, in which, whichever chapter it was, got to be extras in this, in this episode. And I thought that was a very, very cool feature. Very cool, nice thing. If you go on Dave Filoni's Instagram, and I think uh, the Five Over First Legion's Instagram page has pictures of them with the cast. It's it's a pretty cool group shot. They're all decked out in their in their Stormtrooper gear, and you have Mando and Cara doing it. It's it's like I said, just go check it out on the Instagram. It's really awesome. And that's all I got for you today, folks. Not bad. Did I miss anything? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on email. Do all those things. Remember social media at Tomcast underscore popcast on twitter at the tomcast underscore popcast on instagram email is tomcastpopcast at gmail.com and you can head on over to patreon too if you're feeling like it uh patreon.com forward slash tomcast popcast and join become a member of pophead nation my current patreons thank you so much for your support and for listening thank you to uh, the aspenil chody the squid master general brian broussard and the batman of bay park jeff nail you can listen to Jeff's awesome podcast, Ringing Ear, right after this one. And again, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I got, I got, I don't think I have anything else to say about this episode. If I do, I'll think of it while I'm editing. I have to travel back in time to insert myself into the show. You guys know I have to do that every now and then. All right, so Rise of Skywalker tomorrow. Hopefully a quick podcast about that. And then I'm not 100% sure if I'll get one more done before Christmas or not. If not, we'll talk again after... Chapter 8 of The Mandalorian. All right, so with that in mind, if I don't get to talk to you guys sooner, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all of them. Whatever you celebrate, if you don't celebrate anything, that's fine too. Have a great day. Enjoy the time off from work. uh, And watch a lot of Star Wars. There's plenty of it to watch. Thank you so much for listening to the TomCast Popcast. Without you guys, I'm just here talking to myself. So you guys make it a heck of a lot more fun. All right, you guys take care of each other. Be safe out there. Remember, uh, you know, a lot of people like to drink and drive, so don't do that. Use the Uber. Use the Lyft. Use the trolley if you have to. Guys, stay safe. I will talk to you all soon. Ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions.